Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>
I don't for I don't know the history. You're Actually, listening to that book, yeah. Yeah. So first edition was pretty much uh, a bit of a distracted side project. I don't think it was ever really supposed to become uh, the the real. I don't think it was supposed to become what it would eventually become. Right. Uh, you know, the overall intention was like, oh, this is like a side gig. But then um, Gary Gygax and uh, some other guys saw some potential there. Mm-hmm. And then there's, of course, still businessy, you know, uh, backstabbing and not people not getting paid and, and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, originally these were, these were all uh, war gamers and board game designers uh, yeah. at most. Board games was kind of the more radical idea because war yeah, gaming was... Wargaming. You know what I found from that book that I found interesting is the original set of directions for any war game ever came from Jules Verne. Huh. He published a book because um, the Tin Soldiers were so popular in that era. Everyone had them. Kids had them. And of course, you know, as is always the case with toys, apparently even back then, um, adults had a bunch of them. And so he came up with a practical set of rules that he published, which I would be fascinated to look at. I always just forget to look it up until I mention it. Yeah, that's very cool. I didn't know that history. I, I need mm-hmm. to read that book. I've been meaning to. It was either Jules Verne or H.G. Wells. I'll be honest, I, I confuse them. So. Again, don't add us. We'll correct it in the show notes. As Or probably not. Or, or <laughs> maybe be honest. not. <laughs> it's okay. Whatever. It's all good. Hey, but back to the Unearthed yes. Arcana yeah. 2022. So yeah. I figure, Josh, what we'll just do is we're just going to go through this document and talk through our feelings, what we think this means in terms of changing and evolving design philosophy in Tavares games, and then how would it affect us in our development of Esterok and our own skills as fledgling game designers? You know, what's funny is that earlier, you know, I said, hey, I read all the way through that. And you're like, yeah, I read it with an eye toward uh, game design, which I didn't. However, it did, uh, by whenever the time comes up, I will propose something um, somewhat radical for Esterok, perhaps. Uh-oh. I'm, yeah, I'm nervous and excited, excited and scared um, <laughs> for my musical theater peeps out there. Yep. So the Unearthed Arcana 22, uh, 2022 is titled The Cleric and Revised Species. Now, there is a link to this document in the show notes. There's also a link to the Wizards of the Coast slash Dungeons and Dragons YouTube channel where the lead designer, Jeremy Crawford, talks through some of his thoughts and some of the thoughts that went behind some of these changes. Yeah. So the... First thing that we need to talk about, so this packet covers the cleric class consisting of one subclass, the life domain cleric, and then it has some revised rules and revised spells and revised species. And I think I think that's going to be one of the places where we start as well. I, I love this comment at the beginning of the document. They, they already say that the... Um, the the options here might be more or less powerful, and I love that that's one of the things they're doing. They're they're testing out stuff and saying, oh, this is more powerful. That might be too much. Let's dial it back. This might be less powerful. And saying that their whole idea is that everything they create should also work side by side with any material from the 2014 Player's Handbook, which I think is going to be a difficult ask. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's... Yes, it's going to be a very difficult ask yeah. because, I mean, you know, we'll obviously get to it. Um, but once, I mean, if you're going to create a party in D&D, or at least one D&D, um, why are they not going to all be these Goliath guys? Oh, yeah. I am i can't wait to talk about the Goliaths. I mean, 
They're awesome. Yeah, they are. So, and God, see, I don't want to start with the cleric, but yeah. anyway. Well, um, okay. So, full disclosure, full disclosure. I have zero interest in clerics. Oh, I it like is, clerics. They're fun. See, now for me, that so so you definitely get the lion's share of the first half because the cleric is always the thing I just skip right over. I'm like, I just I don't have an interest. Uh, it's just not my thing. So, right. This is almost all new. This could be the cleric class as and it's fine with me <laughs> and i will and i will admit i have never played a cleric so i will there are certain elements of this that i'm sure that i will miss that are big changes but mm -hmm. from looking it over it does appear that the biggest design change for the cleric in this playtest packet is moving the subclass that's what i noticed okay. the most is that clerics you picked your um your subclass your divine domain early Right and off yeah. right off the bat, and now they are—they've pushed it to level three, but they've brought in some other mechanics to levels one and two. And so, as I was looking at this, it really made me think that okay, so one of the things they've talked about with several of the other classes in the playtest packets is that they want all subclasses to start at level three, right? Um, which is an interesting choice. It makes sense to me to make it start at level three, give you a couple levels of play before you mm -hmm. jump into your specializations. It will allow right. you to do things that are more character focused if that's your style of play. It will also create more similarities amongst all the classes, which I think is a big touchstone that I'm going to keep coming back to. It seems like they're trying to make everything line up okay. across so, all the different classes. Right. Yeah. So that if you, so, I mean, so from the standpoint of, you know, a, a, you know, I always play rangers. If I sit down to play uh, a, one of these clerics, the overall approach to the character from start up into third isn't going to be all that different for me. The, right. the learning curve is going to be similar. I'm not going to suddenly have more responsibilities at level one than I'm used to. Yes. And I'm, and that doesn't bother me. But again, here's my question. So if this can stand alongside the classes from 2014 or from Tasha's or from whatever... Mm -hmm. how is how does that line up and there is a statement in here that i don't quite understand it reads a class's description is followed by a section dedicated to subclasses for that class a subclass represents an area of specialization for a member of a class and the subclass grants special features at certain levels when play testing the new version of a class you can use the subclass from an older source such as the 2014 player's handbook or tasha's cauldron of everything if the older subclass offers features at levels that are different from the subclass levels in the class follow the older subclasses level progression after the class lets you gain the subclass in some cases okay. you might find an older subclass doesn't fully work with the features in the playtest version of a class if we publish the new version of the class we'll resolve that discrepancy so i don't real that statement so if you're playtesting this class with a different subclass they want you just to use it once you gain the subclass, not mm -hmm. like wait to level three to give yourself the abilities from the subclass, I guess. Right. So I mean, ignore I, any one or two level stuff or shove it to three. I don't know if they mean to shove it to three or ignore it all come together. Well, so this kind of, I mean, again, I don't play clerics. And I think I mentioned this to you a few days ago It theme, when it first came out. Um, thematically, it seems a little weird to me in the case of a cleric that you choose the subclass later because it. You take your holy orders early in your holy career? Yeah, I mean, it just would... I don't know. As a player, it can become frustrating. At the third level, your your guy getting cool, you know, your character getting cool at third level can be frustrating, period, sometimes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I signed up to be a Drake Warden in, in Candlekeep, and how long did it take before I had a friggin' dragon? You know, mm -hmm. you know, we leveled fine. It, it's nothing against it, but it, at least 
I guess I guess for some reason for other classes it kind of works for me, but because of the general background that I imagine for clerics, they're studying. This is this is a calling. This is a thing. So it seems a little weird that you jump and you decide finally at the last minute this thing. I, I don't know. I, I think thematically it makes it more sense more sense to put it at first. That's fair. That's fair. I am going to be very interested to see all of the different breakdown videos and articles and, of course, do our own when the final version comes out in 2024 and just do a straight side-by-side comparison. It will be fascinating, I think. But to your point you were just talking about, waiting to third level for all your cool stuff to happen, this does take that into consideration to a certain extent. So several abilities have been pushed down to first and second, namely mm-hmm. channel divinity and um, holy order. So for channeling divinity, let me go here. So channel divinity is your ability to do two powers, divine spark or turn undead, which I don't believe in the 2014 cleric you can do at first level. So you have divine spark, which you present your holy symbol at another creature you can see within 30 feet of yourself and focus your divine energy at them, roll a number of D8s equal to your proficiency bonus and add the roll together. So you can basically divine spark. Do you know what that reminds me of is what it sort of is what is in the um, Spelljammer book. There is, I know this because I play a GIF fighter and he has Mm -hmm. astral spark, which allows him to add some d8 astral damage and radiant damage to attacks every now and then based on proficiency bonus this reads very much like that it's even got the same kind of phraseology you know divine spark versus astral spark Mm -hmm. and then your turn undead is a magical action a magic action you present your holy symbol and speak a prayer censuring undead creatures each undead within 30 feet blah 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 um and they're dazed or incapacitated and they've got these as like newly defined uh statuses so (laughs) they give you that at first level yeah. And then you get your spell casting at first level and at second level. So you have you can you're not just I can cast cure light wounds twice and hit things with a mace. You have okay. you yeah. have some additional things you can do especially against undead with divine um with let's see when you do your divine spark what kind of damage does that do? Um you can either restore hit points it. equal to that um, or give a creature radiant damage. So it it does give you some ability to deal out some radiant damage, do some extra healing and then you can do your turn undead to you know scare away skeletons or daze them or incapacitate, and that does amp up later to the the style we know where they burst into flames and die. Right. I just I always I say again, <clears throat> it's probably just a general thing about clerics and why they don't interest me is because like turn undead you know was probably cool when there were a lot less interesting monsters than undead ones. This is true. <laughs> so it's, I always struggle with clerics. I see now. I feel like I want to write a really interesting undead campaign for you. Uh, that's fine. Because I don't know if it'll. Or you could, or we could just run Empire of the Ghouls by Wolfgang Bauer, which is also right, supposed to be really talking cool. about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I mean, but again, um, it's so specific that it just makes it. I don't know. It makes it less appealing if you're going to take a sandbox approach to a game you're going to play. Yep. The next like, adventure. Boy, I sure hope there's skeletons. You mm-hmm. know, or I sure well, hope there's zombies or well, whatever. But isn't that the case with a lot of different classes? I mean, you play a ranger, and if I, you know, we that well, that's part of your session zero conversation. Like, yeah, I guess you want to play a ranger, and I'm like, cool, we're doing our entire adventure in the city of Baldur's Gate, and we're never leaving the city. Right. So then I just would switch the proficiency to what was it? What is it? The they have the city stalker. I think somewhere right. Yeah, um, there is there is essentially an urban ranger. Yeah, and I yeah, urban rangers are cool. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's but Batman. at the same time, this it that would that's a conversation for your session zero. Sure. Hey, is sure. there going to be a lot of undead in this campaign? Yeah. All right. Maybe cleric is a good idea. You know. Yeah. Well, Strahd. Well, I exactly. Mean, I was going to ask you how how yeah. how many games into Strahd did it take you to go? Oh, we should have a paladin or a cleric. Right. So uh, almost right away. Almost so like after the first game. Yeah. Um, and then at second level, the clerics now get something called holy order. You have dedicated yourself to one of the following sacred roles. And so you get... This reminds me a little bit of fighting style for fighters. A protector. Mm-hmm. If you choose protector, you gain martial weapon proficiency and heavy armor training. That is kind of cool that you can now be a cleric with a great axe. Yep. Not going to lie. That's pretty cool. Or Scholar, you could be a paladin, which is cooler. Or you could... Be- <laughs> I don't disagree with that. <laughs> a scholar. Um, yep. Scholar is your your academic. This reminds me a little bit of the fourth edition archivist, who was an intelligence-based divine caster, even though you're still wisdom-based with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about studying and teaching about the lore of your gods in the multiverse, and you gain skills. So it basically turns your cleric into a little bit of a skill monkey. And a thaumaturge. This one, so when I read these, the first time I read these, I was like, why would you ever pick the thaumaturge? It seems really lame compared to the other two. A thaumaturge, delving deeper into your divine magical ability, you can prepare one extra zero-level spell from the divine spell list. Ooh, you get another oh. cantrip. Yeah. Um, see your spellcasting feature for information on preparing spells. In addition, so I was like, okay, there's more. You regain one expended use of your channel divinity whenever you finish a short rest. So oh. you, you just have a little bit more holy energy in you if you're a thaumaturge. Okay. Um, but that's, that's I'm, I suppose that's good. I, so that would mean you were the more obnoxious brand of cleric. Right. You're like, oh, <laughs> literally holier than thou. Yes, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay. at, at third level, that's when you start getting your subclass. From a design perspective, one of the things that I've noticed with these classes and these playtest packets is, again, it's very obvious that we are... That feats are no longer optional. Feats are right. now a part of the game. You got the Dragonlance book today, didn't you? I did. I did. did you Did you have a chance to peruse it? Yeah, I flipped through it, and there's quite a few feats that feats are Dragonlance galore. specific. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that this that again started. I saw a lot of that in. I guess that was in Strixhaven, but I have not read Strixhaven. I'm not a magic person. Um, right. And also in a little bit in Spelljammer, <laughs> if you pick one of the Spelljammer backgrounds, you gain um, feats with them. So feats are now officially not optional. I think that's a pretty safe bet. I love that it's a feat called Ability Score Improvement. At fourth level, you gain the Ability Score Improvement feat or another feat of your choice. I thought I was misreading that. No, they've they've created a feat called Ability (laughs) Score Improvement. Boost yourself up. Okay. Yeah. And you can take a different feat, and now a lot of the other feats are also half feats. So you can take the feat that allows you to increase a proficient a a ability by two points or you can take a half feat which allows you to raise it by one now i want to go through here and find the 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 feat that is ability score improvement oh oh see but they made it better you increase one ability score of your choice by two oh no it's the same or you increase two of your ability scores by one and you can't you can can't increase an ability score above 20 so, so basically, then they just changed the class feature. They just renamed it exactly as a feat. Which again, from a design lens, is one of the things I've noticed. That I'm going to say this over and over again. I think during this episode, it looks like one of the things they're doing is taking all the crap we already do and codifying it. Right. Yeah. So totally. they're like they do the same thing with guidance in here. Mm-hmm. I do believe you know guidance is one of those abilities that's never technically used correctly. Or I mean. Saying never is 
is bold of me. But very often when you hear about it being used or you see it at the table, it's not used correctly. It's supposed to be used before anyone makes any rolls. But how often does someone make a roll and someone else goes, guidance? You know, right? Okay. So now it's it's slightly different, and we'll get to that in a second. Well, you know, all these feats in the character creation, of course, just made me think of Pathfinder. Pathfinder okay. Second Edition is. Oh, is there feet. a lot of feats? Oh goodness, it's it it's it's life blood creating okay. the character. Feats are. I always not liked optional. feats. I never it never bothered me. Well, feats are what make you you know if you want to create your version of Batman or Geralt or whatever you want to do, feats is how you do it. That's mm-hmm. that's how Pathfinder. Um, helps you craft the character into whom you, you know, what you want. Right. And it helps. So I, I could see that. I would be interested to see if the feats almost expand more, especially given that apparently already in the Dragonlance books, they have in the print copy I got, I got to go find it. Apparently they use will save. Oh, I is, did hear that, that they, already, is, they had a day one errata where someone accidentally slipped up and wrote will save. Right. Which I believe Sly Flourish said, it's probably because they got somebody from Pathfinder working there. And enough people from Pathfinder. Or someone who's just really enjoyed, you know, 4th edition or 3rd edition. Yeah, so I thought that's interesting. But yeah, feats are huge in Pathfinder and character creation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you know, it's funny because Pathfinder 2nd edition was supposed to streamline the character creation process, but the... not what I've heard. Yeah, the the access of choice really, uh, I mean, it makes it fun, but I, and I guess you could blow through it, but... You know, that would depend on what type of gamer you are. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, again, if you want to make Geralt or you want to build in that direction because of feats, Pathfinder makes it, yeah, you can do that. And so the more feats uh, actually gives you a lot more options in turning into and playing exactly the character you want. So the more they add them, I think, as long as they can balance it against, you know, threaten somebody with so many feats and so many options, um, I think it'll be a good thing. I agree. And the other thing yeah. I'm noticing on this. As I look at the cleric, I'm noticing that it's it seems pretty front loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like all of the all of your cool stuff happens pretty early on, and then as you right. get to the higher levels, it's things like subclass feature. Then at eleventh level, divine intervention, and then after that, it's feat, subclass feature, feat, greater divine intervention, feat, and then epic boon at twentieth level. Right, they, and they buff everything you already had. Exactly, and. Yeah. I'm looking at it going, okay, so what are these, what are the life domain, because that's all I have in front of me, what are the Mm -hmm. life domain level uh, abilities, these subclass features? So at third level, your healing spells are empowered. At sixth level, you can do some extra things with your channel divinity. At tenth level, you boost your healing spells. At fourteenth level, you have supreme healing. Your healing spells are boosted. So, like, they're good. They're obviously good things, especially if you're a life domain cleric, because that's what yeah. you do. You heal, but they're not creative. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. If that's I agree. If that's you know. I'm a jerk for saying that. I'm obviously I don't work for Wizards of the Coast. These are professionals. I'm trying to learn. I shouldn't be knocking it. But when I read this, I go, oh, okay. So it's just like kind of boosting what you already have once you get into that upper tier. And I right. wonder. The question, I will say it not as a statement, but as a question, I wonder if they're doing that to align the game with the reality that many games, many people's games do not go past 11 to 13th level. Well, that's what I was thinking as I was reading it and as, you know, as we were going through it, I, yeah, I go, it does just kind of just start to kind of buff stuff after a while. Right. So then um, like if we're creating a class is, so again, bringing it back to Estrock, should we be creating a class that does something similar? When we create a class, should it be front loaded and then just buff what it already does at higher levels? Should we be designing to align with that philosophy if that's the philosophy they're going with as as we interpret it? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Um, 
I mean, I, I guess as time goes on, it depends on how far uh, Estrox starts to divert from OGL type stuff and, right. you know, mechanically. So that's what they do with the cleric. I'm, I really wish, I know clerics are part of the priests class group because that's the yep. other thing that, again, organize, it seems like this, I don't know, they're trying to force everything into clean groups, which is fine, but you have the experts, the mages, the priests, and the warriors. Paladins are priests. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, if a paladin is a priest and a monk is a warrior, I feel like paladins and monks have more in common with each other than people like to admit, but they're both mm-hmm. sort of spiritual fighters. But why is a paladin a priest and a monk a warrior? I don't know. You know, yeah, no, that's, I totally agree with that. Because I thought, I just think um, <sighs> paladins fit, but you kind of got to cock your head a little. Like, I see paladins as warriors, personally but then again that's the whole point is that's why it's hard to group the classes into these class groups because a paladin is a priest and a warrior so is a monk uh you know yeah. uh, a fighter isn't is i mean a fighter is a warrior obviously but rangers right. are are warriors and experts well, so are way rogues back in the day way back in the day you had paladins and cavaliers right exactly they were two separate things and that's so my brain is still stuck in i guess that dichotomy where I'm like, so, oh, the paladin is the religious holy warrior guy, mm-hmm. and the cavalier does the stuff a paladin does, but without the religious-y stuff. All right. And yeah, that's, that's how I always saw it. It's so interesting. But that is that is the cleric, so I will be interested to see if, how the class stuff changes as we move into designing our own classes in mm-hmm. Estrock. Yeah. The next section of the playtest packet is character species, and the first thing we have to talk about is the word species. Species. Because we have finally come around. We are no longer using the term race. They have a statement on their, uh, Wizards of the Coast has a statement on their website where they say they have uh, met and had uh, many meetings and consultations with sensitivity experts, and they have realized that they no longer want to use the word race. They are now instead going to use the word species. And that's Mm -hmm. one of a bunch of different words that people have bandied about. Tasha's says custom lineage. I don't know what other systems say, but I'm... Ancestry. Ancestry. I'm fine with species. Species makes sense. That's one of you know, uh, Terry Pratchett made a joke that he said it the, in one of his Discworld books. He said, the people in Discworld aren't racist. That's boring. It's much more entertaining to be speciesist. Sure. Because you have a world with dwarves and elves and goblins. So mm-hmm. it just creates different tribes. I don't, you know, I wonder if in 20 years this will be considered problematic. I mean, well, time will tell. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know that uh, I feel like if not an episode, an early episode, I just wonder, I think I actually did kick around the word species once i i think you might have and i think that the word i think it's been kicked around by people plenty of people yeah i've seen reddit posts where people are like no why don't we just use the word species right it's a good word it's a it's a solid word for what things are elf Mm -hmm. is a species dwarf is a species orc is a species and then you also have mixed lineage species so mm-hmm. that is well, going to be how we do things like our half elves are are what used to be half elves and half orcs. Yeah, and what's what's kind of interesting is going back to your comment earlier about how you kind of feel like your sense that they're kind of codifying uh what we all, you know, tend to do in our games anyway. Mm-hmm. Um it goes back to and I, I know we've had this conversation before, no, you know, we all like dark elves. Sure so we do. So we just we, you know, so we would just make a dark elf character and and, and um you know, we would just skip over the everybody in the group hates them type thing. We, we skip over it with the tiefling thing. Yeah, it's as simple as um, saying, not in my world. Yeah, and, and it's irrelevant. So calling it species just kind of codifies the idea that, you know, um, 
it's it's irrelevant. You are who you are. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, yeah. So we have a statement about all the different species from the multiverse. I love that. Also, the D and D multiverse is now something that gets referenced more and more. Yeah, mm-hmm. this they are again from the design lens. It appears that they're going well. We know you're going to pull in a gift to your Forgotten Realms campaign, so here you go. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. you yeah. can you can do that. It's a multiverse. Go ahead, have fun, move yeah, anything the, anywhere. Yeah, and Fizzbands had gone hard at that. Yes, they did. I mean, they really established that all of this started because of Bahamut and Tiamat, mm-hmm. and everything spread out from their creations. So we get three races in the packet. Mm-hmm. One I really like. One I have a question about, and one I could do without. Can you guess which is which? Um, I'm going to guess the do without one is the same as mine. Is it the Ardling? It would definitely be the Ardling. God, I, you know, I know. And again, I I know you design what people want. And Mm -hmm. I know that there's a ton of people out there who love playing animal folk characters. Our world we're writing has room for animal folk characters. But for the love of Pete, I can't stand them. I, I, I would never want to play a cat person. I it, it just it tend it skews towards that goofy thing that we've talked about before that I'm not. I only like the Leonids. I will stand by the Leonids. I think okay. they're awesome. That's fair. I, they're just giant lion people, and mm-hmm. I like that. But and I suppose any of these could be made cool. It yeah. is a lack of creativity and imagination on my part that makes me not like them, and I apologize for that. Well, you know, maybe. So Ardlings are basically the celestial equivalent of tieflings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. only they have animal heads. I was like, oh, man. Um, yeah, I don't. They roam the beast lands, a plain of untamed beauty and wild nature. I've never heard of the beast lands, so that must be a, a new a new plane. It doesn't ring a bell for me either. Um, the ancestors of Ardlings migrated to the material plane, and Ardlings can now be found on many worlds, multiverse. So we have humans with fur, feathers, scales, and animal heads. And one of the things I did like that they did here is they basically said, like, all right, you have animal ancestry. Choose an animal based on what you want to do. Do you want to be a speedster, a swimmer, a flyer, or a climber? And then there's several examples. So it wasn't just tying you into owl if you wanted to be a flyer. You're not Mm -hmm. just tied to owl. Mm -hmm. You can be a bat, an eagle, an owl, or a raven, or... You can be a swimmer, a crocodile, dolphin, frog, or shark. You can be a racer, a deer, a dog, a horse, a triceratops. They throw it because mm-hmm. we're going to throw a dinosaur in there, Josh. Well, you know, as you, you know, as you go down this list, because the next on the list was uh, crocodile, dolphin, frog, and shark for swimmer. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you go down it, we also it, this could be easily one of those things where we have to remember we're in our forties. Yep. Um, yep. I could yep. very much see. I, I could see uh, your D and D club. Say the sixth graders really being down with the idea. I could see kids really finding the idea of being an animal appealing. Uh, you're probably right. I yeah, would, I could totally uh, see it. Gosh. I mean, how Oof. much would any of those knuckleheads love to be a squirrel man? No, that's the one I was going to say I want the least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, knew that. I think yeah. Squirrel Girl is funny. I don't want him in, I don't want her in my D&D. I don't. Well, I mean, Squirrel Girl also really only has a tail. But I, I don't know. Even know if well, she's got tail, the big front it? teeth, doesn't she? I don't, I don't think so Not anymore. But like a squirrel, a lizard, a cat, or a bear. Like how? And then again, cat. We have cat folk in other fifth edition stuff. Yeah, you can I mean, play, we got the tabaxi. Yeah, I know that in my most recent, one of my most recent Kickstarters, which is the Book of Ebon Tide by Cobalt Press, there is a bear folk race mm-hmm. in there that looks really cool. So again, it is nothing but a lack of imagination and creativity on my part that 
makes these not cool to me. I just yeah. don't like animal folk personally. And that what that extends to is I don't want to play one and I would have to work but, hard to not see it as goofy if I was DMing one. Right. Like you would never play like a hippopotamus folk. Okay. Well, to be fair, okay. to be fair, I do play a gif. You're right. I'm a horrible, <laughs> awful hypocrite. But that is, I will also say that that gif character is my very first time not playing a human. I promise it's not that I'm like humans are think humans are better or anything i've just again a lack of creativity and imagination on my part it's just and much i like to be speciesist and and i and i liked having a bonus feed at level one um right. so it's really what it kind of comes down to but also i will also say that most of my D characters are inspired by fantasy characters that i've enjoyed from novels and most of those characters are humans and so i've always sort of leaned that mm-hmm. way so you but went with a gif. Gif was my was my getting out of my comfort zone, and I love my gif. But I didn't pick him because he was a hippo. Mm-hmm. I picked him because I can do a ridiculous, over the top British admiralty character, right? And I can start so, going like, "What? What? Oh, yes, blow it up!" <laughs> so what I kind of wondered um, is because, as I did say earlier, I do like Leonids from, right. um, and you have a cool mythological background there too. Yeah, yeah. So. But what does what does the Ardling mean for a Tabaxi? Is a Tabaxi just a non magical Ardling? So I the- think so. I think a Tabaxi and a cat Ardling are two completely different things. One of them is filled okay. with the divine spark, and one is not celestial spark. Sorry, it seems uh, like a strange. Yeah. Thing well, to they, just suddenly... and it gives them thaumaturgy, just like the Tiefling has them. Well, and... is this? Do you think this is in part? Um... I don't want to sound ridiculous here, but uh, as far as their you know recent efforts that Wizards of the Coast has announced, as far as being more aware of their inclusivity, correct? Um, animal-headed divine creatures are a big part of a lot of non-white cultures, right? And I would see you have a copy of Journey Through the Radiant Citadel, and I do not. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. be curious to know if some of that comes up in that book because you're right; you could technically play, you know. A I mean, character that that brushes up against uh, real life religions and spirituality from other places that are not white Western, you know, right. Christian dominate Judeo Christian dominated areas. Yeah. Uh, hmm. So this very well could could be inspired by that, and I think, if, and if that is the case, I will give them the the kudos that they deserve for right. in, for vastly opening up the gates of inclusivity in that way. I still don't want a squirrel person at my table. Well. You also don't I, like turtles, so you're consistent. Okay, now wait. Now see, I don't dislike turtles. I don't know why, but I don't I think dislike turtles. You need turtles. to have a good sit with yourself and hey, really listen. reflect. I think you don't want a squirrel girl. <laughs> I don't think you think somebody could seriously pull off a toucan person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. So you just may have some. You may have a little bit of speciesist in your. There's some right because are, I'm like I think ravens are cool. What it comes down to is if you can make that animal dark and vicious, I'm okay with it. Right, right. Because like, I mean, you play you play a gif, goofy, not dark. And I vicious. do, but I'm also playing in a spelljammer game, which is kind of goofy. It's definitely goofy. Um, but yet, I know you reject the elephant people in Ravnica. I don't remember their names. Oh Elephants? yeah, um, uh, uh, I forget oh, what they're called. Like, oh, now it's gonna really bother me. Why'd you have to do that? Uh, Tibet. No, no, no. No, I'll just look it up. Ravnica. Okay, you look it up while I talk. Uh, see if I can remember it before you find it. I can't because I've now put that on myself. But, you know, I can see a crocodile person being kind of cool. Like, if I were to create any of these for a game, I would create them as evil, which sort of defeats the purpose. Oh, see, that's... I'm trying to think of what they call it in Critical Role, which is something different. Um, Oh, okay. 
in in Exandria, I don't recall, but he references them often in those games. So maybe maybe your struggle with the Ardlings, maybe it's just um is it just not defined well enough? No, I think it's defined just fine. I it's just it's an aesthetic. It's an aesthetic that I'm I'm doesn't it doesn't gel with me. But I don't suppose that means anything. Okay, I'm all right. So that'll be a thing. It'll have to be a blog post. I will develop a cool squirrel guy. No, it's not yeah, possible. I'm going to create a cool Ardling squirrel guy. Okay, you try. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, there's a cool raccoon guy. There, that's true. There is a cool raccoon guy. Yeah, it could be done. So you could play a small raccoon climber mm-hmm. who oh, talks right. you, who talks like this and says, "Hey, yeah. what? What do you want from me?" Again, this could be an option. Again to allow people to make anything if you know what if what if there's a cartoon character that you really dig and they're and you know an anthropomorphized animal type thing and now you have an opportunity to make them an angel yeah. I don't know, angel horsehead guy bojack horseman <sighs> yeah bojack horseman the the 5e role-playing game yeah yeah that's, that's exactly what awful. you want so. yeah you can all play right in the rick and morty universe and you'd be happy. <laughs> moving so. right along from the ardling so we, the Dragonborn, right? Is that what we're doing next? Dragonborn was my why. Yeah, it's they basically just... Because they just did Dragonborns in Fizban. And in the video, he says, well, this one, you can choose to play a Dragonborn from the Player's Handbook, a Dragonborn from Fizban's, or a Dragonborn from 1D&D. And my statement is, why would you ever play the one from 2014? Because it's right. infinitely less cool than the Fizban's mm-hmm. one. Right. And I can I, And I can see what they were doing here. They were saying like, all right, we're going to give everyone a breath weapon. That's really what it kind of yeah. comes down to. It's like, no, you get a breath weapon if you're bad or, you know, a bad color dragon. And you're not just bad because right. you're a color dragon. So right. blue dragons, you get resistance to lightning and you can do lightning breath attack. And you get mm-hmm. to choose the shape of it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You can, and you can shake it up. You can be like, it's a cone. It's a line. Um, well, that's why I always for um, Dolph Roll for, for my wife's uh, dragon board, I always have her try to you know sometimes you know because she's uh bronze or copper which one does acid copper so it's like it's kind of gross their breath weapon to think of it so i'm always like well just make it kind of like i don't know like it's spiraling try to imagine it's something else besides just spewing like the like you're trying to kill dennis nedry i always imagine it as uh as dolph rule vorping right it's It's just a really big burp and then a whole bunch of like gunk comes out and hits the person and burns them i see it as like a wicked loogie <laughs> yeah just <laughs> yeah yeah right because we needed that foley in the episode yeah exactly um one of the other things they added which i do think is actually really cool is the dragon flight when you reach fifth level you can channel mm-hmm. the magical energy of your draconic ancestry and you grow temporary wings they're which, spectral yeah which is a feature of gem dragons in physics mm-hmm. So Not it's like something that everybody can get. It's almost like Fizzbands was a giant playtest for how to change the Dragonborn, and yeah, it's extent. the middle ground. So, like looking at now, I think that ma- that makes Dragonborns the character species with the most iterations in published work. Mm-hmm. Once this comes out, mm-hmm. yeah. So well, I mean, it is Dungeons and Dragons, so they should be is. cooler than they initially started out. It is. And I do know there's a whole big thing in the Dragonlance book you just got about how Draconians are not Dragonborn. Yeah, that's they different. are very different. Yeah. So this is this is cool. I, I a little bit why, but I can see some of the cool things. It does make it so you don't have to consider whether or not you are black or gold. You, mm-hmm. it's the same. You just change the damage type. Yeah. So making things a little bit more customizable, but also easier. That also seems yeah. to be one of the themes they're doing. Is let's codify this and make it easier. 
And then mm-hmm. we have my favorite from this test play- oh, placket. Far and away. This is such... I can't believe this has never come up before. We have our Goliaths. Yeah. So we have I'll our Goliaths. Honest, yeah. I was reading through this thing, and as I'm reading through the playtest, page by page, by the time we got to the Dragonborns, you know, I've been through the Ardlings, I got to the Dragonborns, I'm literally like falling asleep. And then I start reading about these Goliaths, and I'm like, oh, oh, this is so <laughs> oh, cool. Then oh, it was oh. like literally wake me right up. Yeah. So Goliaths, um, now basically what they did for Goliaths is give you the option of getting bonuses and boons based on the ancestry of what giants you came from, which I yeah, think you're, is... You're, you're a giant born. How has no one ever thought of this before? Or maybe yeah. they have, and I just haven't read it, because, you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you can choose a cloud giant, a fire giant, a frost giant, a hill giant, a stone giant, or a storm giant, and you get abilities that go along with that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love this oh, they're so much. Cool. And I just kept having to go back and reread them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because I was just like, so what was the the cloud giant ancestry? You get the cloud jaunt as a bonus action. You magically teleport thirty feet to an unoccupied space. That's you can pretty see. cool. I'm and like, that's crazy. And then again, I've noticed this at fifth level. They're starting to throw little bonuses to your species. I'm gonna have to keep myself from saying race mm-hmm. to your species at fifth level. So dragonborn at fifth level get spectral wings. Goliaths at fifth level get the ability to supernaturally grow larger as a bonus now, action. They change their size to large. I know that is, and they be for ten cool. minutes. It's like hulking out. Yeah. You get advantage on strength checks, uh, and your speed increases by ten feet. And then you can't use it till you. So once a day, you can turn huge. And do you know this is be great for miniature sales? Yes, it would. Yeah. It would. <laughs> well, here's yeah. the Goliath mini in two sizes mm-hmm. for fifty two ninety nine. Thanks, oh, WizKids. Three sure. <laughs> D printer goes brr. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got the fire giant. When you hit a target with an attack roll, you deal damage. That you deal damage, you can add an additional one d ten fire damage to that target. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's holy. a that's a lot. That's like you just have permanent one d ten fire damage. Yeah. Uh, the no, you can only giant. use it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Oh, does it say that? I didn't see. Yes, that it says a top okay. under giant ancestry. So you Even don't still. have always a one d ten, but at level one, twice per day. Yeah, twice can, per day. Twice per day is, you, is no joke. At level one, that's a divine smite. Yes, that's correct. You know, essentially. So it make a huge difference. So it gives you a lot of cool things. I'm I will play one of these. I will happily oh, play sure. one of these. Mm-hmm. So especially if you go by the art, the visual art in I think Volos covers giants, the yeah. now defunct Volos. And the Storm Giant the, the different giant types look so cool. Yeah. In the way the art draws them, and I'll visually... be really excited to see the player art for these when the book comes out. Yeah, I can't make, I can't wait to make a Goliath, um, Ardling ancestry squirrel, giant squirrel. Oh, what? What? Are you, why? <laughs> Duh, no! I want Stop. thunder squirrel. Storm giant thunder squirrel. No. Oh. <laughs> and no. then he could turn giant at fifth. No! Stop it! We got yeah, a kaiju squirrel. Mm-hmm. Um. Perfect. So that then that rounds out the species in the playtest packet. Mm-hmm. Then it moves on to the feats, and it starts yeah. talking about how you have prerequisites, benefits, and repeatable feats. These are, you know, it has the normal thing where like after creatures or characters reach twentieth level, you can give them more feats since they can gain no more levels um, because we still don't have epic levels in fifth edition. Yeah. And yeah, that first feat is now instead of saying you can do an ability score improvement or take a feat you get the ability score improvement feat or a different feat if you want. Mm-hmm. So you have some epic boon feats, which are cool. There it does. 
And then after that feat change, we get the rules glossary. So this is just, and I, you know, we don't have to belabor this this particular information right. too much. Right. Um, again, what it seems to me, what they're doing is they're codifying things that happen already. So this this rules glossary goes over some things that they have changed. They have changed the aid spell. They have changed the attack roll equipping weapons. So like, let's look at equipping weapons. Actually, I want to look mm-hmm. look at that because that armor training attack action. Here we go. When you take the attack action, you can make one attack with a weapon or unarmed strike. I guess unless your class says you get to make multiple attacks with the attack action. Mm-hmm. Equipping weapons. Now, this is where I think it's interesting. You can equip or unequip one weapon before or after each attack you make as part of this action, even if the attack is with an unarmed strike. So basically, you can equip or unequip one weapon before or after. This allows you to switch weapons. So yeah. you know how... That's one of those things that, like, the rules for switching weapons, I'm sure some people and some dungeon masters are far better at enforcing it. It's one of those ones that I never have cared too much about in practice or in play to worry mm-hmm. about. But I, I like that they're codifying it. Um, yeah. Instead of armor proficiency, it's now called armor training. Mm-hmm. And lots of that sort of stuff. Lots of lots of phraseology being changed. Mm-hmm. Banishment. They changed banishment, so now the creature gets a save at the end of every turn. So it doesn't. I, it's, it turns I haven't out, seen it, banishment banishment work in action, so I don't know what that right. changes. Yeah. Well, I, I know it might come up more in our game moving forward. Yeah. But I know that Raven has got it prepped and ready to go. Yeah. But banishment is one of those spells that, as a dungeon master, you read about how it can ruin a game for you because you you hey i've got a giant evil demon here and then the wizard casts banish you roll a one on a d20 and all of a sudden well i guess that encounter's over so this i like that this it lasts for one minute and um if the spell lasts on the target for one minute while the okay so you attempt to send one creature you can see arranged to another plane of existence um the target can willingly save in a demiplane the target is incapacitated at the end of each of its turn the target could repeat the save ending the spell uh on itself on a success when the spell ends on the target it reappears in the space it left or the nearest unoccupied space if that space is occupied so now basically you have to hope it fails 10 saving throws because if it's in oh, the okay. if it lasts for a minute and it's an aberration celestial or an elemental or a fair fiend the target doesn't return okay but they have yeah. that whole minute to make those saves which is, and it also takes one of your adventurers off the, off the play field, essentially. Correct, because it's concentration. Yeah. So okay. this this turns it. It kind of nullifies the save or suck aspect of banishment. Mm-hmm. For those of yeah. you who are not aware, I know we do have some people who love us and listen to this, even though they don't play Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, a save or suck spell is a spell that if you fail one saving throw, all of a sudden the fight is over because you lost. So. Right. Um, bark skin, bark skin. They change it now. It used to do your AC can't be less than sixteen, I think, and now it's temporary mm. hit points. That's interesting. Oh, is it? I didn't. Again, I didn't. I honestly, I'll oh. be honest. I didn't really. You, when it came to reading it, I pretty much got lost at this point. So yeah. So bark skin in. Mm-hmm. I see. It. I'm gonna check it up really quickly. This is the benefit of doing this remotely. Um. Yeah. Yeah. You have your AC can't be less than sixteen. So. Oh, okay. So now you have bonus, you have temporary hit points. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Blind sight. So this is one of those things that the the blind sight and invisibility rules are one of those sets of rules that are illogical in the game as it exists right now. Mm-hmm. Because if you have if you are invisible, you have advantage on attacks against creatures that can't see see you. Right. If you then 
cast C. So you have advantage on attacks made against other creatures when you have the invisible condition on you. If someone else, or say one of your creatures, casts C invisibility, they can mm-hmm. then see you. Right. So they have um, they don't have disadvantage on their attacks against you anymore. But you still have advantage on your attacks because it doesn't say that you lose your advantage for being invisible. It's something weird. It's a semantic rule weirdness that doesn't make any logical sense. But essentially, right now, the rules as they stand are, even if something can see you, as long as you are technically invisible, you still get advantage on your attacks, Mm. which is weird. It's like, I can see you. doesn't matter. I still have an easier time hitting you. So it seems like they've tried to codify a fix to that. Once again, it's funny because... I don't know what episode order that these will play in, but we had that, that discussion about, um, you know, technical writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost seems like from a common sense perspective, you don't have to write that. But if you want to be technically complete, you have to say that you lose the advantage. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so. um, climb speed. They, they clarify that if you have a climb speed, you still can't climb upside down on a ceiling unless you have spider climb trait, mm-hmm. well. which makes sense. Because yeah, I've seen obviously. people who have a climb speed and they're like, I can climb on the ceiling. Nope, that's not what that means. It just means you right. can climb. They did something similar with fly that you can't hover unless you have the hover ability. So, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because hovering yeah. is different than flying. Much different. We have the creature types, which codify that now ooze is a, is a creature type. Um, but that, that's always been a creature type. I don't know. Is there anything different here? Aberration, beast, celestial construct, dragon, elemental, fey, fiend, giant, humanoid, monstrosity, ooze, plant, undead. I don't know why. I want to know what the change is here. I'll have to look deeper into that. Well, does it does it usually note if there's something different or am it, I wrong? Sometimes. Hold on. If I go back to the change Because like they say, here's the new bark spell. Here's the new bark skin spell. Mm-hmm. So... But so, why put it in here? Yeah, they the the it doesn't say in here in the so some of the big changes they talk about. They talk about changing the aid spell, they talk about the equipping weapon section, they talk about the banishment spell, they talk about the grappled condition. They try to because grappling has always been a you know a big old pain in the neck for people. They try to mm-hmm. fix the grappling condition, yeah. um, which would come up for us, especially if we're with our slither shadow and its ability to grapple yep. with things. It, yeah. You know, it explains like who you do and do not have an advantage against and how to escape, etc. And then it has hold on, I'm gonna flip to this. No, sorry, I'm flipping the page. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, guidance. Yes, let's look at guidance. So, guidance, the spell. Here's the new version of the guidance spell. It's a zero level divination spell. Creature types list did not change, by the way. Okay, cool. It's you, you, you do have it memorized. It's still all right. <laughs> So the casting time is a reaction you take in response to you or an ally within 10 feet of you failing an ability check. So Guidance, I do believe, used to have... Let's see. If I look up Guidance in 5e, it says, currently, you touch one willing creature. Once before the spell ends, the target can roll a d4 and add the number rolled to any one ability. So as written right now, Guidance is something you cast on someone and say, I'm going to give you Guidance. You can choose to use it on a d20 roll. Um, It's concentration for up to a minute. But in reality, how it got used was someone would make a roll and someone else would go, guidance, and then they would oh. get the bonus. So now they just are like, okay, fine, fine. Here, have your guidance the way you're using it. You, Someone fails a roll and you can give them guidance to add a D4 to it, see if it potentially turns it into a success. I thought, didn't Jeremy Crawford say recently they were changing that? Didn't they limit guidance? I do not another? recall. Hmm. I, I thought recall. that he said that it was a once a day feature for, they made... I thought they I thought they built in a limitation to it, but maybe not. It's possible, but I don't know for sure. Hmm. Um, 
I know that they all they played. Okay, so influence. We're probably not going to get go through all these in detail, but influence is one of those ones that I did want to talk about. I hate this personally. <laughs> this okay. is one of those areas where I go, why codify this? Because it's right. just going to create problems at the table, in my opinion. So it has this whole thing where you determine the role, you determine the attitude of the NPC you're trying to influence. You make the role. So literally a player can have these rules in front of them and tell the DM, well, now when this happens, this should happen. And I guess a little bit, uh, the DM in me is like, no, I decide. I'll set the DC. You roll. I'll tell you what happens. I don't, I, uh, I don't right. know. Again, like so many of these rules, you just you know take what you want and throw away what mm-hmm. you don't. Um, because it did seem a little redundant to me because I did read this. Um do they need to write down that if something's friendly to you and wants you to succeed, he's going to help you? Right. I mean, do you need to roll for that? Right. It, well, you don't. It, it says it says in here you don't. But yeah, no kidding. So like, what would you have to write it down for? So I, um, I try to wonder what was the inspiration for them wanting to write this? You know, charisma check D20 on someone indifferent. I get that. But that's what you would do anyway. Mm-hmm. And if someone's hostile to you... Yeah, it, it is a weird thing, and it, it took, they took up a lot of page space, so maybe that was it. I know, and if someone's hostile, you can't convince them to do anything other than what they're going to do. I, I, I'm sorry. Right, like, you'd well, have to be real convincing. Well, so that's where that's where you, you move past convincing to intimidation. If somebody's right. hostile, you're just going to try to intimidate them anyway, so you're not going to try to... Con- <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah. It's the, the other big, big change that I've seen people talking about is the change to... They, they clarify something with the light weapons, but that's that's the whole idea. Like, oh, now... Oh, there. Here's what it is. Light weapon, you get... If you've got two light weapons, you can make an offhand attack, and it's not a bonus action. Oh. So oh, it's... Oh, right. Yes. That, that was why I wanted to get rid of bonus action with Tobias. Right. Because I was like, I will never use it. If it's mm-hmm. a bonus... If, if, the, if the two weapon fighting... That offhand strike, I'll, I'll never waste the bonus action again. Because the bonus action is how you can control your dragon, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I was like, I will never use the bonus action. And they say, like, okay, if you, as long as they both have the light property, you can attack with your offhand as a second mm-hmm. attack. You just can't add your strength or dexterity modifier to the damage. Yeah. Yep. And the other big one is they changed spiritual weapon to concentration, which I know is going to make a lot of clerics unhappy but they did change spiritual weapon to concentration. And Jeremy Crawford in the video says, it was always too overpowered. We should have made it concentration from the beginning. Sorry. Now it's concentration. Rip the bandaid off. Yeah. Yep. So, and there's a couple other things in here, like the search action. Um, They make the short sword a simple weapon rather than a martial weapon, which is, which I think is good. Uh, It gives a, it gives a, a sword option to people who don't have the martial weapon training. Right. And I also like that they do, what was the other thing? The study action. Oh, they do a couple of things. Again, with that invisibility thing, tremor sense and true sight, true sight and things like that to see mm-hmm. how they interact with invisibility is my guess. Mm-hmm. So tremor sense can't detect creatures or objects in the air and tremor sense doesn't count as a form of sight. True sight, you know, and then true sight changes. Yeah. But... Yeah, the, and then we get to, like unarmed strike, and you, it has a couple of different things here. Like you can take damage to equal to one plus your strength modifier. You can grapple someone or you can shove someone, but that's not a change. So yeah, all in all, a lot of things that I can see what they're doing. I can see that they're taking things that happen at the table normally and saying, "All right, let's put it in the rules." They mm-hmm. are fixing some things. They go, "Yeah, we should have always fixed this," and they're trying to bring everything to the same plane of existence, the same power right. level, the same progression style. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, they're just trying to get to like a median. Yeah. You know, uh, not taking every house rule. Otherwise, your Monopoly game lasts four days. Ugh. You know, because apparently that's true. Monopoly games last forever because of all the house rules that we think are common, but they're not. But they're not because no one actually yeah. ever reads the rules to Monopoly. Right. So. So they're but, trying to cr make it streamlined. They're taking the best of both, but without, you know, but trying to maintain balance. Now, they haven't released any monsters in these play tests yet, right? Not that I'm aware. I have, I, yeah. I can't speak for 100%. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure the that one. they haven't. And that's kind of the thing right now is we're getting these classes and we're getting these uh, different species with these various power levels. And people are like, that's great. But how are you going to compensate with these monsters? Because if the monsters you know? stay the same level, because I, I mean, I've heard plenty of people say that the the monsters in the official, you know, in like the monster manual don't don't often hit as hard as they should. You know, mm -hmm. like they'll mm -hmm. say Cobalt Press hits really hard and Monster Manual hits really weak. Um, it'll be interesting to see how these stack up. But again, they're like, well, you can play anything against anything. I, again, why would you play a Dragonborn not that, that can't that can't fly? Right. You, I can play it, a Dragonborn that can fly at fifth level. Why would I not do that? So, yeah. but that is the entirety of the latest Unearthed Arcana playtest packet. So it'll be interesting to look at that and see what I want to. I'm going to read a whole bunch more articles and videos and watch a whole bunch more videos to see what other people mm -hmm. say about it. But I don't know. We'll have to kind of, I want to consider some of these as we start creating more and more stuff mm -hmm. in regards to making sure that our future mechanics and game design align with the philosophical direction that the game is moving right in no, which the game I mean, is moving yeah yeah i mean I, I definitely agree with a lot of it but i came out of this whole thing and my hot take was i don't know that the more i thought about it and i've spent a couple hours admittedly just a few hours very half-baked i don't know how much room there is for divinity in estrock I, I get that as well. Or there's either not a lot of room for divinity or a whole lot of room for divinity. Exactly. Everyone has a different idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's interesting because I was like looking at the clerics and I was like, I just don't see how clerics fit into Astarok. I could see because the druid fills that role in the world, yeah. you know, and, and the more I kept looking at clerics, I'm like, I just don't see how that fits. Well, they're, they're obviously going to be even most of the clerics. Well, most of the clerics are going to have a little bit of a nature slant anyway. And yeah. that's a domain that if it doesn't exist, we can create. Yeah. And the clerics in the, I'll use air quotes that people can't see, metropolitan areas mm -hmm. are going to be more standard clerics. So if you're doing a city yeah. campaign in Farpoint, then yeah. having your standard cleric is fine. And yeah. I think that clerics are serve an important role because while druids are important, clerics are better at healing. In large well, that's numbers. why I was like, I would like to come up with a more of a medicinal class. Oh, yeah. A non-divine healer. Yeah, because it seems like it would make more sense with, culturally speaking, um, for the folks up on the colossal expanse. But this is us spitballing, I the guess. The herbalist. We're, yeah. Maybe something oh, like that. The herbalist would yeah. be fun. Well, yeah. hey, we'll put that on the TB TBD. TBD, yeah. That, friends, is all of our time for today. Thank you mm -hmm. again for listening and supporting the show. For more information or to peruse the latest drafts of our creations, visit our website at www.fourthpillarofplay. All spelled out. All spelled out. Where you can also <laughs> like, follow, or message us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, thank you, everyone, again. And we look forward to creating more with you. Yeah. See you later, guys.